World War I claimed an estimated 16 million lives. The influenza epidemic that swept the world in 1918 killed an estimated 50 million people. One-fifth of the world's population was attacked by this deadly virus. Within months, it had killed more people than any other illness in recorded history. The plague emerged in two phases. In late spring of 1918, the phase was known as the three-day fever. It appeared without warning. Few deaths were reported. Victims recovered after a few days. When the, de when the disease surfaced again in the fall, it was far more severe. Scientists, doctors, and health officials could not identify this disease, which was striking so fast and so viciously, eluding treatment and defying control. Some victims died within hours of their symptoms. Others succumbed after a few days. Their lungs filled with fluid and they suffocated to death. The plague did not discriminate. It was rampant in urban and rural areas, from the densely populated East Coast to the remote, remotest parts of Alaska. Young adults, usually unaffected by these types of infectious diseases, were among the hardest hit groups, along with the elderly and young children. The flu afflicted over 25% of the U.S. population in one year. The average life expectancy of the United States dropped by 12 years. Just an uh, article on the influenza epidemic of 1918, commonly known as the Spanish flu. There's a need for health, especially in the midst of a, a, a pandemic and an epidemic. But we also, there's also a need for healthy spiritual growth to defend against the viruses, the poisons of false teaching. God wants us to develop spirit, as spiritually healthy believers. Now, in setting this up, normally you come up with a proposition statement. God wants us to fill in the blank. And you have a question, how, why, or what? I have two questions, how and why. And our passage kind of talks about this. God wants us to develop as spiritually healthy believers. How and why? Well, for our own healthy growth and the care of others. And we're going to see this in Jude, verses 17 to 23. We're going to jump right in and start at Jude 17. We're going to look at verses 17 to 19. And we're going to see our first reason here. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who's cause, who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Here in these verses, we have our first reason to be spiritually healthy. We have the health crisis. The health crisis. Jude describes in these verses the health crisis of the church of his day. False teachers like bacteria or a virus get through the defense of sound doctrine and cause division, seeking only their comfort and desires at the cost of those that would follow them. So let's kind of look through this. Jude starts this section by again calling his readers to remember. 
But instead of remembering past rebels or past judgments that we have looked at over the last couple of weeks, he asked them to remember the warnings, the predictions of the apostles concerning these apostates and false teachers. And in verse 18, he, he seems to loosely quote 2 Peter 3.3. 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. He seems to loosely quote 2 Peter 3.3 3 there. Now these scoffers or mockers that Jude and Peter refer to are those that mock God's future plan as they pretend to know the truth, yet deny the coming judgment. 2 Peter 3.3 and Jude 18 are the only two instances in the New Testament for this particular word to be rendered as a scoffer or a mocker. The only two places that this word appears in the New Testament. Though Jude's language seems to come from Peter's letter, he calls his readers to remember the, the predictions from multiple apostles, not just from Peter. Paul issued such warnings in Acts 20, verses 28 to 31, to the Ephesian elders. He gave a warning uh, twice to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, and 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, as well as chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And later, John will issue similar warnings, 1 John 2.18 and 2 John verses 7 through 11. Jude may also have been thinking of Jesus' own predictions with which, uh, with which the apostles' warnings were similar to and were in accord with. I mean, they understood Jesus' teachings and they gave similar warnings. But Jesus gave predictions like this in Matthew 7, verse 15, chapter 13, uh, and chapter 24, and again in Mark 13, 22. There were warnings of false teachers coming and making promises and leading some astray. Jude's point is that the Word of God is paramount to the churches and to disciples' health and defense against false teachers. The apostles' teaching was evidently known to Jude's readers. Some have even thought that by the time of his writing, a number of the original converts who may have actually heard the apostles firsthand were still alive. The apostles were God's envoys, his representatives proclaiming the message. Paul writes in Ephesians that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church with Christ as the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 You being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now in Jude in verse 19, he gives this last reference to these people referring back not only to the apostates and the false teachers that he has given warning to, but also the scoffers of verse 18. Jude gives one final description of the false teachers in verse 19. They cause divisions. Paul's warnings in Acts 20 verse 30 is that false teachers would arise to draw disciples after themselves. They want to lead people out of the true fellowship of the church. They tend to make appeals of a deeper knowledge of Scripture and offer some higher quality of Christianity or just appeal to the selfishness, selfishness of the human heart with promises of health 
and wealth. Secondly, these false teachers are worldly people. The term Jude uses to define these teachers are totally focused on the physical, materialistic. This word is translated in James as unspiritual in James 3.15. They are focused on the things of this world more than the spiritual. Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, and it's rendered there as natural. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are the nat it's the natural mindset, that unspiritual mindset, focused on the physical only. Thirdly, Jude calls them devoid of the Spirit, or not having the Spirit. Now, if the previous descriptions that Jude has given throughout the letter haven't made it obvious, here Jude flat out calls these false teachers unbelievers. They are not those who have fallen away from the church. They just never truly believed in the first place. He says they are devoid of the Spirit. The Spirit here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And to say that these men are devoid or do not have the Spirit is to say that they are not born again. They are not regenerated. They are not true Christians. They are not true disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul clearly shows in Romans 8 that the Spirit dwells within the believer. Romans 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. To be devoid of the Spirit is to not have Christ. So you, there, there is kind of the health crisis. Now when we get a cold or the flu, our body's defenses are circumvented. Sometimes through our own negligence or laziness, and we get sick. The sickness is our bodies trying to fight off the virus. And our body's defenses, our immune systems, need help. Need, we need to rest. We need to be having drinking fluids. We need a boost of vitamin C orange juice, or just vitamin C tablets, and certain medications to help fight the illness and get ourselves healthy again. Well, the primary defense of the church and of the believer is to be grounded in the Word of God and the sound doctrine that we find there. We need to be in the Word. We need to be studying it. We need to listen to biblical teachers that carefully faithfully and accurately expound and explain the Word. We need to read books that help understand the Word better, help us to understand the Word better. We need to draw our theology from the Word. We need to study theology at least to be familiar with theological concepts so we can say, wait, I know what you're saying there, and that's not right. Or yes, I haven't fully understood that before. This makes sense now. 
we need to, to study theology at least to agree to be familiar with some theological concepts. Because whether you're a believer or not, you are a theologian. You have a theology of some sort. And if you are a believer, you need to have the right theology. <laughs> now in verses 17 to 19, after Jude warns his readers of this health crisis, Jude uses verses 20 to 21 to prescribe an immunity booster. Look at verses 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And here we see our second reason. It's our spiritual health. Our spiritual health. Now, these two verses are tied together with a central directive, a central command that is the only command in the sentence. And surrounding this command are three clauses, two of which are given as means to fulfill the command, and the third is to show an attitude that should come from the directive, that it should come as we live out the command. This immunity booster is the vaccine against apostasy and false doctrines. We're going to start, we're not going to start in the verse order, we're going to start with the, with the command, which is found in verse 21. The imperative verb, the command, is found at the beginning of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now this is not saying that that salvation is dependent on the individual. You're not working to keep your salvation. You, don't have to, you didn't have to work to earn your salvation. You don't have to work to keep your salvation. Now, Jude's already noted that true believers have experienced God's love and keeping grace, way back in verse 1. This command indicates that the believer must work in cooperation with God, and the idea here is similar to Paul's statement in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you, have, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As well as Paul's statement of Philippians, it's, there's a similar statement from Jesus to his disciples in John 15. Abide in my love. Jude is wanting his readers to consciously keep themselves in God's love. Just as a doctor might tell a patient to keep in the sunlight, but as a doctor might warn of too much sun, we can never have enough of God's love. God's love always wants the best for us. And Jesus' statement in John 15, Abide in my love, was immediately expanded upon with a call of obedience in verse 10. The believer is made consciously aware of God's love through the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, but sin can cool our hearts and cloud our consciousness to God's love. We start 
we begin disobeying the word, we begin sinning, we start falling out of God's will, our heart begins to cool, and we stop thinking about God's love, and we begin focusing on ourselves. But if we are constantly and consciously reminding ourselves and staying consciously in God's love and, be, and seeking to obey Him as we po most possibly can, best as we possibly can, we stay there. We're never, I never want to say that we're out of God's love, but his love is going to look different as he chastens his erring believer, as his erring child. But the best thing for us is to consciously say, I need to stay here. Help me to stay here. Now, if keeping God's love is the command we need to follow, what are the clauses that aid in this prescription? The first clause is actually found at the beginning of verse 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The idea here is the growth of the believer with that familiar New Testament imagery of a building or a house or temple. This term is always used in the New Testament figuratively for the spiritual development and growth of the individual. This term is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 12, and 14, Ephesians 2, 20, which we just read, and Colossians 2, 7. This word pictures the building upon a foundation. This is not pouring the foundation or laying the cornerstone no, this is the construction of the structure itself, the superstructure, putting up the walls and the braces and the frame. Jude's point is the development of a strong and sturdy character of the believer. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7, part of what we read this morning, show the elements of this character, the building materials of the structure. Jude's wording indicates that the believer has a responsibility for their own growth. But this is part in cooperation with God. This is where that kind of comes into play. At the moment of salvation, God bestows spiritual life on the believer and implants the ability and desire to grow, yet the growth is the responsibility of each believer. I need to be in the Word. I need to be in prayer so that I can continue to grow, so that I can know Christ better, so that I can be a better disciple. As referenced previously, this responsibility of the believer is to work out their own salvation, Philippians 2. God's word is the means of this growth. This is made clear in Acts 20, verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that is made that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are, who are sanctified. God's word is an integral ingredient to the immunization against the denials and deceptions of apostasy and false teaching. The most holy faith that he references here is the same faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 3. It, it is the objective faith, the core of Christian life. 
The description of this faith as most holy distinguishes itself, separates itself from all other faiths, and for the holiness it produces in the lives of its followers. The faith that believers build upon is not an abstract doctrine, but is the message of Jesus Christ's holy character and redemptive work. The next clause, found continuing in verse 20, is more specific when it's compared to the first. It's, a little more, it's much more specific. This clause, praying in the Holy Spirit, is closely related and vital to the development of spiritual maturity. The idea here is of a fixed, regular habit of prayer. The term that's used for praying here is the term that's most frequently used and is the most general, yet it's the most comprehensive, that covers all forms of prayer. This term suggests an attitude of reverence from the one praying. But he says to be praying in the Holy Spirit. And this is the only place in the New Testament where this specific phrase is found. The idea of in the Holy Spirit here is in the sphere in which the praying is taking place. It has the idea of being immersed and shut away from the world. This picture almost parallels Paul's comments in Romans 8, 26 and 27, where the Spirit is shown to be directing, prompting, and purifying prayer to be in harmony with God's word. God's will, excuse me. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying in and with his power, and is not about ritual, but is from the heart and soul of the one that is, quote, indwelt, illuminated, and filled with the Holy Spirit. The third clause coming after the command to keep is found at the second half of verse 21. This is not a means to fulfill the command, but an attitude that flows from being from keeping in the love of God. It is looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This attitude naturally comes from those that enjoy being in the consciousness of God's love. It's an expectant attitude of the future. This this participle that, that sets this clause off demonstrates an eagerness, a readiness for what is awaited, a, a readiness for what is waited for. This term is used in Titus 2.13, which, which gives a parallel picture of this attitude, looking, unto, looking for the blessed hope. This expectant Hope comes from loyalty to the faith, abiding with the Spirit, and keeping in the love of God. This hope of the last days helps keep present realities in the proper perspective. We have a hope which makes all the present issues and everything else worthwhile because we look forward to awaiting Jesus Christ's return. 
This hope is for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus' return, and specifically that we as the church are waiting for, is the rapture. One author comments, the rapture will be the consummating evidence of his mercy. The eternal life that this mercy of Jesus brings is the eternal life of the believer in the presence of God. 1 Peter 1, 5, 9, and 13. The believer possesses eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, but this mercy of Jesus unto eternal life is that final manifestation, the completing and consummation of the believer being conformed to the image of Christ. 1 John 3, 2. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In Romans 8, 29. So that is the, the vaccination for an immunity booster. It is recommended that after birth, a newborn receives a, a vitamin K shot to help with blood clotting, as well as some eye drops to help prevent, uh, to help prevent some eye infections. A newborn will also receive a hepatitis B shot with boosters at two, four, and six months. Those boosters are combined with the DTaP IPV HIB vaccine. I know that's a lot. <laughs> the DTaP is the vaccine for diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, or whooping cough. The IPV is the inactivated polio vaccine. And the HIB is the vaccine for one type of hemophilus influenzae. Without these vaccines, the infant is at greater risk of contracting one or more of these diseases in their life. And some of these are very serious to the very young. And newborns and children receive a number of vaccinations for their general health. Vaccinations of this sort help keep certain childhood diseases at a minimal level, while, and others help, help the child's immunity and prevent some of these diseases. Now, as these vaccines help the immunity and health of the infant as they grow, so the believer needs immunity boosters. The believer needs vaccines to prevent falling into the traps and deceptions of apostasy. The primary vaccine is coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and placing, placing one's faith on him. The booster is what Jude has been prescribing here in these verses. The main ingredient of this booster is to keep in God's love, while the other ingredients are the building of the faith toward maturity, prayer in the Holy Spirit, and hope that comes from waiting, looking unto for Jesus. So we need to stay in the Word. We need to stay on our knees in our prayer closet to remind ourselves daily of the gospel and how we have been saved. We need to keep a short account of sins before the Lord as we seek to be conformed to Christ's image. And we need to look expectantly and joyfully for the blessed hope, the coming of Jesus Christ for his church. The next two verses move from the need of how 
the need and how of being healthy Christians to the why. In verses 22 and 23, Jude tells his readers to perform spiritual triage. Jude 22 and 23, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Here's our third reason for spiritual health. It's spiritual triage. Well, we need to start with what is triage? Well, one sense given in the main definition by Miriam we by Miriam Webster is the sorting of patients as in an emergency room according to the urgency of their need for care. In other words, who needs care right now? Who's the most critical and who can wait? Who needs emergency surgery or who just or who just stopped breathing? over who just needs some stitches or a band-aid. Now, I prefer the ESV reading of these verses as it makes very clear the distinction of three types of individuals Jude is calling his readers to recognize and tend to. And as Jude has a preference for threes, that make, makes a little more sense to me. Jude 22 to 23 in the ESV. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So what do we have here in these verses? Well, verse 22 contains the first group to assess treatment for in this triage, the doubting. It seems that this may be believers that may not be convinced by the teaching of the apostates, but they've been confused by their teaching. This has left these particular individuals in some sort of doubt as whether, wait, should we be following these guys or, or not? And there's, there's some confusion, there's some doubt, there's some waver. Now, as noted, there's some disagreement over these verses, and one is that you'll notice in the New King James and King James, it doesn't read those who doubt, but it reads instead as making distinctions. The term is the same one that is found in verse 9 here in Jude, disputing over divergent opinions or judgments, where Michael contended with the devil. But this word that's, that's used here is used the majority of the time in the New Testament as doubt or doubting. It's seen this way in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Romans 14, and twice in James 1.6. And each of those passages refers to the weakness of one's faith, of those who are weak in the faith. Now, Jude notes that these individuals need to be dealt with, with in mercy and with a compassionate attitude. Since verse 17, there have been only two commands. Remember in verse 17 and keep in verse 21. Verses 22 to 23 issues three commands, rapid fire. And the first is here in verse 22. Have mercy on, show mercy to those who are doubting. 
Believers need to have a compassionate attitude to, to those who are seriously doubting or having trouble discern what is biblical doctrine and what isn't. How do we show compassion and mercy? By discipling them. By coming alongside of them. Helping them work through their doubts and questions. Shining the light on God's Word on whatever teaching they're struggling with and see how that teaching stands. The second group to assess is in the first part of verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These seem to have a worse condition and need more aggressive treatment. This is the next command, save. But saving is not the work or activity of people, but of God. So how can we save some? Now, while God is the one to save souls from the penalty, punishment, and presence of sin, he has chosen to work through humans as the avenue to saving others. They don't know what they don't know, and they don't know without being told. And who's going to tell them? The church needs to be the one telling them. These individuals seem to be more ensnared in the false teachings and need immediate attention before they become too entrenched in the lies of the teachers, thus heading to judgment. Now this portion of the verse is a little bit more ambiguous. It's not really clear. Jude may be referring to believers who have left the fellowship after chasing after the lies of these false teachers. And the fire here is a reference to the Lord's chastening his erring children. Or Jude is referring to unsaved individuals that are deeply involved and their position is serious as they teeter on the precipice of hell. There may be another Old Testament allusion here in this phrase of snatching out of the fire. This may be a reference to Zechariah 3.2 or to Amos 4.11, or both. Uh, in these passages, there is a phrase similar about a brand being plucked from the fire. In Zechariah, the brand represents Judah being brought back to the land out of the Babylonian captivity, while in Amos, God has was giving the people a reproof for not heeding or realizing the warnings he's been given, that he's been sending, drought, poverty, and other issues, other ways of disciplining them. And he calls them that they were a brand plucked from the fire, yet they were ungrateful for the mercy that they were shown. So there may be an allusion, another Old Testament allusion here with that idea. Now this third group is the most severe case, and this is the second part of verse 23. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And here we have the last command. Again, show mercy. Now these seem to be the ones who are too far gone. Maybe even the false teachers and apostates themselves. The believer is still to show mercy, to share the gospel, to point out the error, but with fear, with caution. 
The fear is of defiling oneself while trying to be compassionate to the other. You have the good intention, the mercy, to reach out to that false teacher who set up shop across, this, across town, but now you're getting involved. Now you're seen as working with them, and now your, your testimony is ruined because now you're associated with them. So to, to show mercy with fear, with caution, The garment that is stained or defiled by the flesh may represent the lifestyle of debauchery of those in need of mercy and need of the gospel. One source describes this group as those who can only be pitied in the spirit of the fear of God with acknowledgement that, quote, there but, but, but for the grace of God go I. Most of us have been to a clinic or, or in a hospital, and, and we've seen, uh, seen nurses and doctors in their, in their scrubs. But when they go into a procedure, they don't just wear, I mean, they wear their scrubs, but they, but they put on more. They wear their, their scrubs, they have an apron, they wear masks, they gloves, some, sometimes a face guard. Why? to protect themselves and to protect the patient. They don't want to be contaminated with whatever the patient is dealing with, and they don't need to spread whatever contaminants they have to their patient. That's why they, they scrub. That's why they uh, um, wash before they get in to get into the, the operation or the procedure, right? They're trying to protect themselves. They're also trying to protect the others. So there, there's that idea there of the garment stained by flesh, that defilement there. We need to be careful. As we work through triage, we need to make sure we have the, the appropriate attire on and have the appropriate caution as we try to assess and work with these people. Jude's prescription of triage in one sense, seems backwards, but at the same time, it isn't. Those that are the easiest to reach, the doubters, often require some personal discipleship as they work through their questions and doubts. And yet, if we're not discipling those that are doubt or are young in Christ, they may go further down the road to, to apostasy. While the worst cases, the third group seems to be the ones that need the most attention, they are the ones that are the most dangerous to the well-meaning believer trying to evangelize. So the easiest to reach is almost the ones that need the most attention, while the, the most hazardous to us are the ones we need to be a little bit more wary of. We need to be discipling those in the faith, explaining not just this is what we believe, but explaining why and showing them how to study and grow themselves. 
We need to be sharing the gospel with those that are in our spheres of influence and willing to be the tool the Lord uses to pluck some out of the fire. And yet we also need to mark those teachers and those that have rejected everything of the Lord and leave them for the Lord. We need to grow healthy spiritually and to defend against false teaching. God wants us to develop as spiritually healthy believers for our own healthy growth, but also for the care of others. Being in the Word and in prayer is vital to our spiritual health. This helps keep us abiding in God's and Christ's love. We need to keep the present in the right perspective and looking expectantly for Christ's return to rapture his church. We need to be aware of those around us that need mercy and encouragement, those that are falling into devious and deceptive traps of false doctrines, and those that we can only leave to the Lord. These verses are Jude's final exhortation to his readers. Get healthy, stay healthy, and help those in need to get healthy. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we're able to spend in your word to look again and to see the exhortation there, to be reminded that we need to be continually in your word for our own sake, to be in prayer, and that we can only move forward and can only stand so tall as we stand on our knees. And Father, help us to be aware of those that are around us that, that need help in understanding your doctrines and your teaching and understanding your word. Help us to be able to show them how to look into your word and to find the truths there so that they may stand on those truths themselves. Help us to be wary of those that seem to need the most help, but help us to be discerning with who and how we do that. Father, we pray that we will continue to grow individually as healthy disciples. But Father, we pray that we'll continue to grow as a healthy church. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.